0: Joining me on today's podcast, a well-known TV personality, podcaster, entrepreneur, ultra runner, my friend and former cast member Spencer Matthews. Spencer's intro into the running world was not an easy one, taking on one of the toughest ultras known to man, the Marathon de Sable. He's gone on to face some of the world's toughest ultras, exposed to some of the harshest conditions imaginable. He's been in the public eye for over a decade, but his story has really only just begun. Spencer. Hey, I'm going to be honest. So when I first met you, never in a million years did I think I would have you in a studio doing a running podcast. Yep.
1: I mean, when I first met you, um, never in a million years did I think you were going to break a world record. You know? (laughs) It's actually, can you remember when we first met? It's, times are very different now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, there's been a lot of growth and, you know, maturity since. I think that, you know,
0: life was pretty different back then. So first time I met you, I don't know if you remember this, is when we filmed in Barbados.
1: I I do remember Phil, is that the first time we met?
0: That was, I think that was the first time we proper met. I remember you being on that trip and you were so annoyed. We basically all were put in one house and then you and your girlfriend, Laura at the time, were stuck in a house miles away. Yeah, yeah. Completely out of it. And I just feel like that trip was just a bit of an uphill battle, but here we are. All of it though is just so kind
1: of, I don't know, I have such mixed feelings about that show. You know and i just i'm I'm kind of so glad that it's over and I, i'm kind of properly through it it's so funny how it sticks with you like it doesn't really matter it would be interesting to talk about i suppose kind of what you end up doing what you end up starting like what impact you have on others you're always that guy from that show it's, and it's a difficult
0: thing to shake when i left the show god knows how many years ago i used to get really frustrated when i looked at the hard work that i'd done and you know, when, when I went into that challenge space, how people would keep bringing that up when it had zero relevance to it. You know, I could be like midway through the most ridiculous challenge and all the journalists wanted to talk about was things that were connected to the show. Yeah, But actually it's one of those things where I actually look back on my time and think, where was I at in my life pre-show? And I think if you go into that opportunity with a level head, it's amazing what can come from it. And so I think it's one of those things where you just have to accept that if anything, the thing that you did had such a major impact in people's lives. I think on the flip side, if you were to have done it and no one mentioned it,
1: yeah, I <laughs> suppose so. That would be a bit shit. Yeah, yeah, no, I suppose so. <laughs> I just, I just feel, I, I feel like, um, I don't know. I've never really loved reality TV, full stop. And I've done so much of it. It's kind of like a trap I fell into <laughs> when I was younger. And like some of it's all right, you know, like Master Chef and The Jump and bits and bobs, where you kind of like learn a skill, but other bits of it was just, um, I
0: don't know. I just really didn't enjoy it for so long. But I guess if you actually look at the past though and you think, right, it's maybe not a point in my life that I maybe I'm the most elated about, but ultimately that's what then gave you the opportunity to do things like, was it the jump? That's where you met your wife. Indeed. And yeah. then from that wife, you then had children. So like, you know, I think yeah. if you look at the point you're at now, it's, it's probably like a huge gift
1: yeah no i know know. i should i should should get i should get it out of my head that it's a bad thing really i just i don't know i feel kind
0: of embarrassed by it i suppose for me when i look at individuals that have done or had those sorts of opportunities i very much look at what they've done with that opportunity either during the show whatever it might be and then post and i think if you look back at your time over the past number of years say post show i think you should be very proud of what you've done not everyone kind of grabs the opportunity with both hands. I think certain individuals sometimes come into this space and they get very comfortable with being in the spotlight and just imagine that spotlight being there forever. And then one day it just disappears completely. People have no interest in you and you're left going, what do I do? I think you've been pretty intelligent actually at reinventing yourself consistently. And I mean, look at where you're at now. One minute you're doing a reality TV show now you, you you know you're you're being recognised within the ultra space for the things that you're doing, which I think is a really exciting place to be, and also completely opens up the future. I'm I'm so fascinated
1: with kind of you and what you're doing, uh, uh, and the, you know the the tasks and and challenges that you set yourself. And, and and you know some people don't get it. Some people look at the ultras that I do, and they just they just don't. All they see is pain yeah. right, and suffering, and they just don't get it. And some people look at you know your marathons. Uh, and, and just don't and fail to understand it and it's so much more than just the event I suppose and I think that's what I'm, I'm really interested to talk to you about it, you know like what what drives
0: you well I think you kind of nailed it I think a lot of people look at these challenges and, and very much just maybe see the pain element for me when I'm in it I've never I'm, I'm it's like my most peaceful peaceful state I can actually be in which I know to some might not make any sense at all but you know, I've got such a, an overactive brain and there's so much going on in there. And I think because you're throwing yourself into something that you cannot be distracted by, you have got to focus your soul attention on that. That's probably what makes me so peaceful is that I don't have that distraction. I also think, which I've spoken a lot about, is that when you come into this space, not even ultra, whatever it is you set yourself the why behind what you do has got to be really important and you cannot manufacture it. Because if you do, you're going to get found out pretty quickly. The why? The why. Yeah. As in, for me, the why very much was, you know, coming from a place where I struggled so badly with my mental health. You know, I hit rock bottom. Like I, I wanted to end things and I didn't see a future. In all honesty, I had zero purpose. I had no qualifications in life. And I just, like I said, I was, I was, was, I was done and out, to be honest with you. Understanding that I guess my purpose in life isn't necessarily to be to make money or be really successful in life. Maybe my purpose in life is just to help people. And when I help people, that makes me feel good. That gives me a purpose. With all every struggle I've had, any trauma I've incurred, you know, it makes me empathize with so many different people from so many different walks of life. And I guess the deeper in this space I get, the more people I'm exposed to, the more passionate about more communities I become. Hence me, doing a lot of stuff in, in in a wheelchair to support my friend who was paralyzed from a motorbike accident that took me down a path that never in a million years did I think I'd go and and here I was and I think that why but in all honesty is what has enabled me to complete these challenges no matter how big or long they've actually been because I think when you go through those really dark moments and this is what I mean about not manufacturing nonsense because when you turn to something that doesn't really exist like how is that meant to propel you? Ultimately, I think when I've been at a place where I'm suicidal and the why behind, say, the last challenge was to give a person a reason to live. If I'm at my worst and I choose to give up, what sort of a message am I sending to the person that I'm trying to inspire? Hmm. It's very profound. I mean it. What do, I mean- think, what do you think your why is behind this? Obviously, it's,
1: it's for personal reasons. We have a foundation called the Michael Matthews Foundation where we help these incredible kids in, in Arusha, Tanzania um, you know, be receive an education that they probably wouldn't ordinarily receive, it started with wanting to raise money for that foundation. And at the time I was thinking the more difficult the task, the more money I'll raise, right? And I, I had no experience of fundraising. So, you know, we'd run a marathon and I'd raise some money and I started to look for, for kind of bigger, better things. And the difficulty factor, um, played into it for me back when I would abuse alcohol really regularly. Uh, my brother ran the Marathon de Sable. He came kind of 140th or something like that out of the thousand people that were running it. I just couldn't understand, like, firstly, why he would do it, but also how he achieved it. Like, he was just a hero to me. But also, I thought he was crazy because my self worth at the time was really low. And I was happy to just destroy myself on a regular basis and, you know, drink huge amounts and just be out and be the latest and loudest person out. And I was just spending, you know, time with the wrong people and, and you know, just, just wasting my life essentially. It's only when it began to become kind of detrimental to my general health and well-being, and became, you know, started to really slow me down to the point where like walking the dog was becoming an issue that I decided to kind of turn my life around uh, in order to essentially save my relationship with the woman that I love, uh, who was pregnant at the time, uh, and, you know, try and prove to myself that I can be somebody, you know, exceptional is a big word, but I just I always, in the back of my mind, thought that I could be someone and do something, and do something amazing, and maybe inspire people, or, you know, I've always been quite a selfish person, and I had this big opinion, you know, of where I could go. And um, and I j- just was doing the complete opposite, right? I wasn't giving myself the chance to do anything great or noteworthy. I signed up to the marathon Basab on one of the first days where I had become sober. Just signed up to it, just just entered and signed up, and thought, okay, well, you know, now I've got this to to aim for. And did a few runs and got prepared. But like, eventually, what what what's happened with me is that I enjoy the discomfort, kind of not in a sadistic way i find that i learn tons about myself when i'm really up against it it's actually even better if you're kind of (laughs) underprepared in my case because it's like you're you really hit these walls where you feel like you you simply won't be able to to get through it and of course you keep going and you push through the stress fracture or whatever it is you might be going through and you and you get there and that sense of of kind of Pain and discomfort is really I really welcome because I've had I've had an amazing life, been very privileged. You know I've grown up with a loving family, and, and you know minus my brother dying when I was young, which of course was you know traumatic for the whole family, and minus not really being able to kind of cry or show weakness without it being punished essentially in our household. I've had a very good life. Lots of people go through loss, uh, and I'm sure lots of people grow up with. Strong Northern fathers who don't believe in crying, right? So they're not excuses, but I found myself kind of suppressing emotion for most of my life. And now that I've had some conversations with some people, um, you know, I, I feel that that could be a reason why I drank to excess so heavily to kind of feel emotion somehow, right? To let it out differently because I would struggle to be emotional just on a daily basis like you know if i see pain and suffering i it's it's something that i might sympathize with but i've always lacked empathy and like i I don't really know why that is but kind of i think because of my brother passing and stuff i always thought that other people's problems growing up were smaller than what i'd been through and therefore couldn't quite understand why they were whinging and i kind of have become my dad quite young right i just you know Get through it, carry on, you know, shut up, basically. Uh, And that's found me quite black or white. I love being crushed and defeated by these things. Like, I haven't found any of them easy. And there have been times quite early on in some instances (laughs) where, like, you just feel flattened by the whole experience. In this recent one in the jungle, if you slip and break your leg or you decide or or you get your food wrong or you're dehydrated or, or, you know, you're fucked for lack of a better word, extraction is going to take 10 11 hours they're not going to be able to get to you they can't get you out because they can't fly anything in because it's so dense you need to be carried out which would take just ages the whole thing can become a bit of a nightmare you know we saw some fantastic athletes not make it and um i think just that level in a roundabout sorry i've I've completely gone off piece essentially but that is what i like um being a part of that that fact that it doesn't really matter who you are or how strong you are or how gutsy you are, like you're up against it in, in these things and, you know, nobody
0: breezes them. You're a very unique character, but as in like you're you're an individual that I think can be misconstrued so easily because of this bravado, but also you like your energy, like, you know, we were literally just talking before the podcast recording, and you're, you know, you're going to get diagnosed for ADHD. I've got a podcast called Big Fish and I interview people
1: with, you know, incredible careers and we talk about how they define success quite a few of them have said to me like you do realize you you have like serious levels of adhd i've literally sat there interviewing them and I'm, I'm just like why do you say that they're just like your mind's just like somewhere else and i'm just like is it like i'm literally I'm literally listening to you <laughs> like, <laughs> like in my opinion i feel so present i'm just like uh <laughs> I, I missed our ride to glastonbury Right. Uh, Because I was interviewing Sadiq Khan. And at one point I did ask him a question and I was just thinking like, I wonder if the bike that's outside is going to be, uh, you know, ready and waiting. And I wonder where it's going to be. Is it going to be on this side of global or that side of global? I just completely, there I did just like exit the room and came back. And, you know, I'm interviewing the mayor of London. And if you told me like a few years ago, like you're going to
0: interview the mayor of London, I would have just been like, am I? I think with you, what I've come to realize is that when you're having a conversation, if you are truly in invested in that topic, yeah. and there's something for you to learn from it. Yes, then then, then you have that person's You've got attention, You've right? Got Do you reckon that's why in this ultra space, then that's maybe an element of it that you absolutely love? Because whenever I've done these trail runs, or just even the team that I've got, you're so connected and inspired by these individuals. I've never met a single dull person on any run that I've ever been on.
1: You also find yourself, you know, in the Amazon forest rain basin with 250 kilometers ahead of you and you know it's gonna be horrendous but beautiful but horrendous you've got something in common with every single person there you know this year only six people finished the race um and you kind of know that going into it like in the first briefing they say kind of there's only 50 people have ever finished it in nine years i ended up having a conversation with my foot you're just out of it you know
0: i've 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 hallucinated and seen my dad and gone to hug him and then he's disappeared really yeah that was june joggle this was on a really really long day and i just do you think that
1: do you think that is because when you go through certain kind of boundaries and walls that you're able to transcend into kind of like like is it
0: is it a spiritual thing for you i mean i to be honest with you you know you'll have specialists on the on this mic right now telling you the, the scientific reason for that and then there'll be other people that will read it in a different way. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think you can prove it. I think it's just what the person's interpretation of it might be. How clear was your dad? Like really clear. It was. It was bizarre. Like and it actually, it came at a time I where I needed him. need. I needed him in that moment. Like I really wanted that hug, and and he was gone. <laughs> and then <laughs> I kind of was left in the same situation. What I would say is that when they talk about as only utilizing a certain percent of our brain. In my opinion, there is something about this space that takes you to a place that you've never been before, and I feel that it does open up whole new levels. My brain and body
1: reacts to whatever's in front of me. So, like if I if I go for a ten k jog, okay. If I, go no, for, I if don't I, think I've ever seen you jog, yeah, I don't if, think you know I, how to I, jog. If, if I go for a ten k run, yeah, uh, uh, which is just three laps of Battersea Park, my local park. On like, by the end of the second lap. My brain will tell me like ugh, you know the the bit long now and I will like slow down a bit like and it's not long. Meanwhile, you dump me in the Sahara and it's like, see you in five days, you've got 260k to cover. It's kind of like the very first checkpoint is 10k and you just blast through the hammer through it like an animal, you know, but but there are no different levels to the fitness. so it's kind of like on the one hand, You've got 10k, and that's your finish line. Finish lines are really dangerous, in my opinion. Like, like it's kind of like with the Amazon thing. I I knew with about 3k to go of the whole thing. Like, I was out of fuel in a, in a, in an incredibly serious way. Like, I was in and out of kind of consciousness. Uh, I was I was I was going left and right all over the shop, like adding to my distance basically because I couldn't couldn't stay in a straight line. Um, and it was incredibly painful, and I knew it was warm. It was like twenty four degrees, twenty five degrees, and I knew that the second I crossed the finish line, I'd go into what do you call it? Shock. Yeah. And, and uh, you've probably had shock loads. I've had shock maybe four times, where like where you just you become freezing cold, but to the point where like your teeth are literally nearly breaking because they're chattering on each other. You you need one of those space blankets, and, and it always happens to me at the end of long events, like regardless of of whatever it is my body began to fail knowing that it was the end like if there was an extra day it wouldn't have failed with 3k to go it would have been really painful still but
0: like finish lines to me are the enemy you know i had a situation in sri lanka where i'd run out of water and i was running through these paddy fields and i was severely dehydrated like this is this is and there was no one around and um i it's kind of panic stations where there was no water well that's a lie there was like a stream, but it was brown. Yeah. And I, and just the amount of crocodiles, <laughs> oh yeah. I was head first in bud. Thank you for having my snorkel with me. But I just looked at the water. I thought the risk factor of this right now, I, I just don't think it's worth it. Are the crocodiles in there? Cause there'd been several times throughout the jungle where I'd gone to sit down and they're scurrying off. Fortunately, when I genuinely was almost out two local guys came out of nowhere. And I think they could clearly see I was in, in die in need of some help, no no English whatsoever. So there was no communication, but they could tell. And they, to be honest, made the decision for me where one of them had like a, a, a broken plastic bottle and basically was just dousing me with the water just to bring the temperature down. Well, I remember when I went to stand up, I literally passed out into one of the Sri Lankan guy's arms. I had to muster something up and go, right. I think there was like three more K to go. But you know what it's like when you're in that headspace, 3K is, is like a marathon. It may as well be running like to France. Genuinely. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, well, I've, I've, this is my only option. We've brought the temperature down. I can just about walk now. But during that walk, I was looking at that moment going, Has every bit of adversity I've ever faced and the trauma I've incurred and the experience I've inherited from previous challenges enabled me to put one foot in front of the other, or would every person be able to do that? I do wonder if everyone's on the same page or if in that moment that's when someone went, no, I'm out. I do think it's in your and
1: my system to not give up.
0: (laughs) This week's episode is sponsored by Runner. Runner is a personalised running coaching app helping runners of all abilities train for any goal, from a first 5K to a marathon, even an ultra-marathon. When the time is right for you, your plan can be created within a minute and ready to go. With each plan, Runner provides all the help a runner requires, including strength and conditioning, and you can also reach out to the team at any time via the support tab inside the app. For a two-week free trial on any personalised running plan, Use the code PHOENIX. No matter your goal, runner is there to help you achieve it. There was this guy
1: who, like insane athlete, much better ultra runner than me, like had won like most of the other Beyond the Ultimate events. Uh, And had done all of them apart from this one, right? So this was like the final crown, the final jewel in the crown. Uh, He was looking to win it. He was coming second, um, and he just had this catastrophic failure on like day three. Like he, I, I overtook him. I was fourth at the time, and he was second, but he was miles ahead. Like by, by miles ahead, I mean like hours ahead, right? Not on the day, but overall, come that day, and um, and I saw him in the jungle, and like, I was going through hell at the time. Like I can't tell you how. I'd gone through the whole kind of violently swearing phase to like the I'm exhausted phase to the not being able to really properly carry on phase and just thinking like, I'll just get to the next checkpoint, like just one foot in front of the other, just climb this hill. Like there'll be a checkpoint at some point. I'll sit down and I'll just cane like caffeine and I'll just get a bunch of shit into me. Like even if it means I've got no more food for the day, I'll just eat and get comfortable. And I saw this guy and I was like, what is going on here? And like, I kind of chased up to him and found him and he was like collapsing. And I was like, can I help you? But a little part of me in my head, because he was very like, he had a ton of, well, arrogance going for him, like going into this thing. A part of me was really like, I was just like, mm, how interesting. Cause I was like, if he falls out of the race, like I'm going to come, I'm going to come third, I'll be on the podium. Um, but then again, I was just like, I don't want the bloke to die either. You know? So I was just like, I was just like, can I help you at all? the fact that it was me asking he was just like no it's fine mate just leave me he's just like he was a bit angry i'm like, not surprised he was like
0: just leave me i'd be annoyed if was, you yeah, yeah, were yeah, helping me
1: yeah. yeah yeah can i can i <laughs> assist you with uh, some of my that that would put yeah. him
0: up so much oh,
1: so badly but i also knew that he wouldn't make it to the checkpoint and everything and he was like i don't think i'm going to make it and i was just like there's nothing you can do by the way did to you help smile him. um a small part of me did immediately picture me on the podium right but but like we are all competitive animals you know uh but also a big part of me was like well i hope he's all right it gave me an enormous energy boost so like literally but i was out of energy as i was just saying all of a sudden i was fucking running again and i was and i was thinking in my head i was like God, i'm a i'm a nasty fucker i was like literally this 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 him seeing him fail has given me energy right i was just like but i was just running i was running and i was just like at least it's helping, right? Because because it's like you know we could have both just keeled over, and then then who's laughing? Not me, you know. But but I know anyway, I did feel bad for him. I tried to hug him when he left the race, and he wasn't really having much of that either. He was he was
0: he was very upset. He's making some sense. No, oh all right. no, no. I mean, but it's
1: not yeah, we don't but, like each yeah. other. But it's a super competitive environment, and like I think he he didn't lack my, he didn't love my lack of preparation.
0: I and I get that because I mean there's a lot of guys in this space who train hard. His yeah. pack was packed. Like, like I can't tell you how it was packed. It was, just, it was
1: perfect. Like, yeah, he, had, he had everything was perfect, like perfect, perfect. I had, like, I'd never even set up a hammock by the time I landed there. And, like, my agent was literally saying, like, the hammock is going to be the end of you. Like, we've spoken to the team. and They say that people, like, fall out of the hammock and they can't get, it, like, comfortable. And that's what does them in. And I was like, and when I get there, I imagine that on the first night I'll be able to have a quick look around and see how to do the hammock. And it'll be fine. Like, forget the hammock. But I um, was it fine? It was alright. It was alright. I did have a good hammock though. It was fine in the end. Lots of these races, you get to the end and like it's your little setup is all sorted for you. This is like you are completely self-sufficient. You get to the end. I would go for a swim in the in the uh, river uh, every evening, and then you got to come back up and you
0: you tie up your hammock and you set up your hammock. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of prefer that though. I think the more you strip back the luxury in these situations, the better the outcome and the experience. Yeah run for million, you know, it was a very different setup where we're not in a jungle or in a desert. You know, we are literally just traveling from city to city. The car parks, I'll be honest, weren't luxury, but, you know, it was a different scenario. And, you know, I found myself in situations where, you know, on on a number of the marathons, you know, a friend or someone they knew was a barber and was like, bud, can I, you know, can I cut your hair? I just, I wouldn't cut my hair. I would rarely wash. I kind of let whatever facial hair I can grow, grow because... The more feral i feel the better it is I, for me it was just a case of when i wake up in the morning the the dirtier i feel i for me personally the more prepared for the day no matter how bad it was i would be whereas when you wake up and you're sort of pampered yeah, yeah. that for me i think is when you're setting yourself up for some serious hurdles yeah yeah see it's interesting because you were talking there about the competitive element and i think this is where we're quite different I think you get your thrills and you're excited by these these races based on where you position, right? Whereas I'm very different in the sense that whenever I do them, I just don't I don't care about winning. For me, I think that's probably why I go down the path of doing things that have never been done before. That's where I get my thrills. The minute you start taking on people, I don't know why, I just kind of disconnect from it.
1: Like I, I did want to finish it. I knew that very few people would finish it. I just wanted to finish it. If I came dead last by 12 hours, I would not have cared. Um, but it it was great to kind of like in that first day to really get a sense of like, oh shit, like, you know, either they're all holding back or like I'm at the front, you know,
0: great. I do find with, with each challenge that you set yourself though, I guess there's lessons that can be learned from them. So the first one was MDS, which, you know, for most people that's, they would put that up there i would say for anyone that's coming into the running space and certainly for like you know seasoned pros that's up there with one of the hardest races on earth yeah from there you then went into the ice ultra Ultra. and this is this for me i think is a really defining moment in your journey which i'm really intrigued by because you were saying that giving up is not an option but you found yourself in a situation where you found out basically before the race started that you had COVID.
1: Maybe I had COVID. It's difficult to tell. Lead leading up to it, like traveling, I, I had a tra- I had really heavy breathing. I was coughing up uh, all kinds of crap. You know, this is arriving in um, Arctic Sweden. By that time, you've traveled so far that like the thought of saying, "Well, actually, I feel a bit ill," is just like it's, it's a non. You don't even think about it, right? You're just carrying on. Well, if there's any doctors listening, if you have a really bad kind of, you know, lung or, or stomach or chest infection, you know, being in minus 36 at altitude is like the last place you want to be because all this shit is freezing kind of, and, and you're coughing up kind of hard stuff. Um, and I did the first day. I can't tell you how painful it was. That was it was just, it was just like, I hated it. It, it was, it was just rubbish. It, we, You start that race with a 62 kilometer day, with like a couple of K of incline, and you're, you're on your own, it's beautiful, but it is so boring, like, because you are basically, the people ahead of you are faster, the people behind you are slower, so you're on your own, like, you don't see anyone for the entire day, right, and you start at 7, and I've got these big snowshoes that obviously I bought last minute off some bloke that had done it the year before, because I put out, you know, something on Instagram, and they didn't quite fit and whatever else, but I thought it would be fine. Um, and I've never worn snowshoes before. And to anyone who loves wearing snowshoes, like, great. It's not for me. Uh, and I kind of realized really early on that I've got, you know, 250K of of this in this knee-deep snow terrain for most of it. And I was just like, this is going to really suck. Because at least in the Marathon of Saab, if you want to get your head down and just, like, hammer out 30K, like, you can, right? And there's always people around you. It's big groups of runners, all of whom, as you say, are quite interesting, cool people with interesting stories, and you know, there's that real sense of kind of community at the end yeah. of each day and during it, right? If you want to stop and march for 10k, there's 50 other people who are doing that. You just have a chat with them. You know, it's, it's nice. Actually, it's nice and warm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's cool. You're in the Sahara. It's nice. um This is not nice, right? So it's minus. It's minus 26, minus 36. One point on the first day. I climbed this hill, big heavy hill, and like you're just going so slowly up it because it's so steep. And I got to the end and I took a selfie so that I could send it to my family at the end of day one to say kind of I'm I'm all right. And uh, I took my glove off to take the picture and like the cold just got got hold of my hand. And I didn't think much of it, but it just got worse and worse and worse. And I put my phone away and I put my glove back on. I was like, oh god, that like that bites. And like it just carried on and it just got so shit, like for the rest of the, like, it got to the point where you're just angry. Like, it's just like, why is my hand not like regaining motion? And then you start to think like, am I going to lose my hand? You know, like what's going on? And that race is slow. You can't run. So like, you, you can't like you're covering kilometers at probably like maybe four kilometers an hour, maybe. So, so the first day I got in, like when it was very dark, right. We started early in the morning. And by that point, you've 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 really had enough, right? And you've got four more days of this. And I got in, and the bloke John Shields, who's won loads of these things, was there, and he'd won the day, and he'd finished like two hours before me, or three hours before me, or something. And I was like, "Did you did you at least have? Did you have a good time, right?" Because and he was like, "No, I fucking hated it. So like, like like it's just this is not fun." And I was really ill, of course. And so on that that first night, they put me on antibiotics. I was like, just could bet, couldn't sleep, was tossing and turning and coughing up, like, you know, half golf ball sizes of this kind of green crap. Uh, and I was beginning to think like, this is going to be a really uphill battle, like finishing this thing. Uh, and then in the morning, they gave me the option of withdrawing or carrying on. And I was like, I'll, I'll do another day. So I did another day. Uh, exactly the same, apart from loads more incline, less distance, but tons more incline. At the bottom of the one of the hills, they said, right, Strap up, go to the bathroom now, if you need to make sure that there's no exposed skin. Cause when you get to the top of this thing, it's like a plateau and you've got about seven K up on the very top flat, uh, and they were like, it's really windy. Like if it catches an ear or something, like right. it, it's gonna, it's gonna get rid of your ear. If you need to take a piss up there, forget it. Like simply not possible. If you need to take a number two up there, forget it. Like you, you're better off going in your trousers. And They were just like up up there is is real rough like you you know you can't really see anything and it's 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 violence right and I was just like great again you know I'm not feeling hundred percent and uh, you know you get through all that and then at the end of that day I was very ill and yeah long story short they gave me a COVID test you know I'm, I'm sure loads of people have had this happen but like I literally I did this test and it was just like like positive right like and they were all just like oh okay like you know you you can't continue. But by that stage, you've done all the elevation and the last three days are flat. So I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I, I do feel awful, but we are all this way. And I have done, you know, I've done over a hundred K of this. Is there any way that I can just have a separate start time? I'll start, I'll sleep in a cabin on my own. I'll start four hours behind everyone else. Um, don't like when, when I arrive at checkpoints, just like leave the checkpoint to step away and I'll just sort myself out. Uh, and they were like, no, like, we can't, we can't, like, let you carry on. So that was the first time you had to pull out. Yeah. But do you know what, though, I think... At the time, though, I have to say, like, like, looking back at it now, it's kind of like, mm, it's really annoying because I didn't finish it. But at the time, there was uh, an enormous sense of relief because, like, there was there was no fun or comfort in that race of any kind. Like, it, like by, by the way, you get to the end, so these log cabins, and you think, like, oh, God, I'll just have, like, a lovely, like, warm cup of tea and I'll just like get my sleeping bag out and it'll be there might even be like a lovely log fire or a radiator no mate like it's 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 minus 10
0: in your log cabin I just I think that decision making when you're in that moment it takes the best type of runner I think to make that smart decision because I think when you go into that you have to understand what's the limitation there's a big difference between not wanting to test yourself and understanding when is it too far for me I think India's always been my greatest asset my daughter whatever I do if I feel at any point that will impact her or her life then it's an absolute no so whenever I go into any of these ultras she's the first thing that comes to my mind had they let you would you have kept going but then are you not in fear of irreversible damage well so that's that was the deciding factor
1: So I said to them, I was like, look, the chances are I've probably had COVID for this whole thing, right? Like, you know, I haven't just caught it up here in one of the most remote parts of the world. I just said these first two days have been incredibly painful. I don't know if it's the race or if it's the fact that I'm ill, uh, but can I not just finish this now? Because, you know, I, I was in a horrific way, but I was like, I also kind of don't want to leave everyone and fly home on my own. And I'm going to have to isolate for a while. So like, this is essentially isolating, like up here, can I not just finish the race? And one of the doctors was just like, now that I know that you have COVID, these conditions could permanently destroy your lungs. Uh, for the record, I'm not a doctor, uh, but you know, he basically said to me that the, you could have lesions like in your lungs and your, your lungs can never be the same. Something to do with something crystallizing on the inside of my lungs or um, there being some kind of liquid in my lungs that could freeze essentially as a result of me not, you know, looking after myself uh, because I was ill. It wasn't up to me to carry on anyway. But once I heard that, I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, the sensible thing is obviously to stop.
0: Well, I guess when you're inspiring people and people will be influenced by the decisions you make, I think it's those decisive decisions that are such... Well, it's, it's so valuable for the people that watch you. So I think if this story had been very different, where you were like, I ran through COVID, I think the issue with that then is that people go, well, do you know what, if Spencer's done it, I can do it too. But the problem is we're all built completely differently because I had no idea what the outcome of run 4 million was gonna be like. And I remember speaking to my team, we sat down around a table and I was just like, listen guys, I'm gonna go through something now that I've never been through before. I'm. It's inevitable I'm gonna get injured. I'm going to suffer an awful amount of pain. But the most important thing for me is if at any point you diagnose me and you feel like there's irreversible damage, you pull me straight out. I've seen people make the wrong decision and I look at the damage it's probably causing long-term and I just think, was that the right decision? Because ultimately for me, I want longevity in this space. I want to do many more races. I want to break many more records. And in order to do that, I have to be functional but also look at the freaking power of your mind there the fact that you more than likely did the first two days with covid without realizing had you gone into that race knowing you had covid to begin with i wonder how differently those two days would have been well again the race organizers
1: wouldn't have allowed that but like but you know it was a bit of a bit of a surprise sorry i know we're jumping around different things day 2 of the marathon to start, I, I was incredibly sick the whole camp got sick at different times just like take a sip of water vomit type thing <laughs> just like a norovirusy type which thing. isn't great for dehydration right no no it, no it was terrible that's the day that somebody died so somebody died two people died in our marathon de this is october 21 uh it's the only marathon de that's ever taken place in october and that was one of the hottest it was it's the so- hottest ever the day two was 59 degrees celsius um so yeah just 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 roasting and all these like really good runners would keel over after like three four kilometers because they'd cane it at the beginning and their body just would go nope, like you're not running in in this weather you know so it, it was a kind of slow and steady uh, thing like not many people just like hammered that like you would have the capacity to run that whole thing but like that yeah which i wouldn't by the way like, i needed to compartmentalize comp- it into different sections i get asked all the time for advice on mds because lots of people want to do it and in my opinion a really strong march like a really fast march and a slow jog are very similar like you, you might be squeezing an additional k out here or there but one will like really damage you and one doesn't right so like i spent at least half of the marathon Basab like marching maybe I don't know, like call it 7k an hour, like 7k, 8k an hour, like just like he- heavy marching, you know, but quick marching. Um, and you'd overtake joggers all the time, people who are in his backpack are just like shunting them all over the place. Um, and I think that's pretty important in these longer races. I, I don't have the physical fitness to run 250k, um, but I do have the mental fitness to kind of like mean that I simply won't stop, like I would need a broken leg
0: to not finish it, you yeah. know. People, I think, misunderstand this ultra space. I remember when I did Sri Lanka, there was this guy, Salome and like the guy, uh, Jordanian. And I think he's in his fifties, probably even sixties, to be honest with you, this guy weighed next to nothing. And you know what it's like, you've got strict rules, what you've got to fill your pack with. Right. Just in case you do get lost. Yeah. yeah. So bear in mind, we're in the jungle campus. Yeah the compass that i can't use certain rations just in case you need to eat and a raincoat that sort of stuff like yeah uh, yeah i remember uh, saying ten... quickly to the to the to
1: the race organizer because they they make you carry a compass and i was like just in passing <laughs> if, I, if i if i get derailed in this thing and i miss one of the marks and i go 10k off the wrong way into the sahara what exactly am i supposed to do with this thing where exactly is the route and they're like, oh well, this goes all over the place but you're heading kind of Northwest, I suppose, I was like, I right, suppose. well, okay, I'll I'll
0: keep that in mind then if I get lost. Well, he did get lost. Oh, right. Multiple times, but still won. Crikey. But what was impressive about him is he actually got, um, you know, they would check, you know, on various different days, not to catch you out, but more just to make sure that people were doing what they were told. And bear in mind, you're meant to have all these rations and this equipment. He gets checked and he's got nothing. Doesn't even have water and this guy's running through the jungle. And I remember every morning he'd wake up and he'd have um, tin fish, like sardines, and a dry like like brisket thing. It just, it absolutely blew my mind. But the experience he's inherited over the years and his technique is what made him stand out. It's not necessarily about being the fittest. I think, to be honest with you, most people respect the race enough to have put the preparation in to be fit it's those small percents that make the difference between winning and losing and i mean he would finish sometimes hours before anyone else the bloke the bloke the blo- who won uh the jungle was
1: a guy called james and he has been on Huel for liquid food for um i think he said eight years just just, just should he didn't eat for the whole five days we were there he only he only drank fuel, so he didn't have to carry any meals he only had to carry powder right so his pack was much lighter much smaller not that that would have made any difference he also runs 40 kilometers every day every day and has done for years and years and years but not like wow. not in the sense of running a marathon the way you run it like so yeah. he, he runs i think he said he runs 15k to to work um, uh, every day runs 15k home every day and in his lunch break runs 10k every day but I oh, imagine so. that's his life, though,
0: right? He's fully committed himself to that lifestyle.
1: I said to him, I was like, "I said you, you just,
0: you just love running." And he was
1: like, "Yeah, something like that." <laughs> I mean,
0: to be fair, I do, to, <laughs> yeah, I love running. I I went to a dinner once hosted by I can't remember who, and and basically the the guest that we were there to meet has carried a dumbbell with him for the last twenty years everywhere if he, he goes that you can do a few cows no just carries a dumbbell Is it's it? just his thing Did he lose a bear when he was a kid or something? I honestly I was even being sat next to him I was trying to process it I was like so you're married and he's like yeah and I was like so you've got That's two really children he's I'm like yeah that. so I was thinking well if you're kids because I know his children I think at the time we were younger than 20. That, why does he do it that means that you've had a dumbbell by your bedside when making love to your wife yeah Surely he's holding it. Eh? Otherwise, he's. Oh married. no! I don't. No, I think it's just as long as he carries it from location oh, I see to location. But, but have to hold it. When he's no, just no, no, it. no, no. no. But just, I found, I just find people's mindsets so intriguing. How he just woke up one day and went, Do you know what? This is my niche. I would, I think you should meet him. By the, I just think you, I'd like to see it. I just think there's an interesting conversation to be had there. I would, I would unquestionably really dig into that. <laughs> what, what I, what I want to know uh, from yourself. I think when you look at your past and you've spoken openly about addiction, this is a topic that I'm fascinated by. What is it about certain sports running specific, say ultras, where you find so many individuals who who were addicts invested in that? Is that because it's something that you can still get a high from. For me, I think what I find interesting is for anyone that I've met who's an addict that's gone into that space, I imagine when you look at the intensity of that lifestyle and the resilience that builds, when you implement that then into running, does that does that almost give you like a, an advantage? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I can't answer that with any real- Like, What's the longest uh, you've gone without sleep? What was your, your big, like two days maybe? So i was a forward foreign exchange broker and my my skill was to take people out i
1: suppose right and so that's what i was used for like they didn't really give a shit, to be honest if i like slept on the desk because it kind of (laughs) i made very little difference to to them in that regard but it was kind of like oh goldman sachs are going out tonight like it's your job to go and entertain them so like i'd go out like six nights a week and then after that i ran nightclubs and so i'd always be out about six nights a week and that's maybe me being modest like I would usually go out on the seventh night you know like because that was my night off I suppose I did I did several days of no sleep when I was at ICAP and I remember kind of like waddling out of the things that I'd gained like three stone from like drinking 10 pints of Guinness every single day Uh, 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 and I kind of like I, I basically collapsed in this park and just like lay down on the grass during my lunch break and just went to sleep for like six hours And I I kind of woke up and it was the end of the workday and I was like, fuck, you know, but like that was a messy time in my life. I feel like it's interesting when you
0: make that transition, what can come from that? Yeah, I just,
1: I've always liked doing things to excess, always.
0: Yeah, Do you think that's what it is. Do you think it's the excess of running that they are?
1: But I like the idea of like, right, I'm going running, I'm going to run 50k like running 10k doesn't really do it for me it's not like I run 50k very often but like when you're preparing for one of these big things it's quite handy to bank a few like 50k runs just so that you've got it in your legs in your system because there's nothing worse than turning up and like the furthest you've run is 10k and after 10k your legs are going to get tired because you just won't won't manage to do it but like yeah I think it's I think it's just in your head like you know me from before like I would want to be out all the time drinking the most and being the loudest and never going to bed and you know like it's kind of like you just take that and put it into other stuff like with business you know when i first started cleanco i was i was a savage like my wife i'm not sure which she preferred i took all of my energy from being an insane drinker and just channeled it into being an insane entrepreneur and i was on the phone at 3 a.m 4 a.m never sleeping i feel like i'm far more balanced now like i get the importance of Spending time with like my wife and kids. And when I first quit drinking, I literally felt completely unstoppable, like to the point where I'm sure it was deeply unattractive to, to like my wife and anyone else, because I literally believed that I could do anything. I've described it before that like I I, I feel like I've kind of always been like a turbocharged Ferrari, but I've spent years and years with the handbrake on. All this shit that I thought was like completely unattainable, unachievable, like raising all this money for my business from these billionaires or like getting the CEO of Moa Hennessy to back me and stuff like all the stuff that would have sounded mental before all of a sudden became a reality. And I was just like, that was around the same time that I was like, right, well, I'll do the Marathon of Saab now because like, what's going to stop me? Do you think you found a
0: healthy balance now? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, you're four four ultras down. Yeah. That ice one doesn't count. I think it does. Experience wise. To, to, yeah, yeah. I hundred percent I think it does. And I think, you know, as, as we're kind of like nearing the end of this now, I I I want, are you want, willing to share what the next idea is? It's quite a scary one, isn't it? Would you do it with me? You know how I <laughs> say like- No, you know how I was saying to you, you always take your children into account. This was one of them. Spencer basically sent me a message and the next challenge that he wanted to take on, um, was basically it's called the Barclay Marathons and it's absolutely savage. So the elevation changes 103,000 103,800 feet in 100 miles. Only six people have finished the 5 lap course since the race began in 1986. Some of the best runners in the world will tackle it. And I mean I to be honest with you, I I called up my uh my buddy Chris um Taylor, you know my my right hand guy from over Four Million. I was like, listen, I've just spoken to Spencer, and he's kind of got this idea for this challenge, and he literally went flipping it. Like, well, he said it a lot more than that, but he was yeah. like, that's intense. And yeah. I think for something like that, what I would say is, if you're going to contemplate it, you cannot go half-assed. Maybe like previous challenges, I think if you're going to do it, you have got oh, to no, commit yeah, your time yeah. to the training, which like, I'm clearly. sure you understand. But there's five, 20 five twenty-mile laps, right? Is it t- 100 miles? I need to read up more on it, but it, it, yeah, it yeah. is, it is,
1: I think it's a, like, it's intense. And, and so obviously that as a distance is like nothing compared to some of the stuff we've done, but it's a hundred miles in a single go, but the laps are like crazy. I think it's like climbing Everest eight times, but it's, it is the elevation or something. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, people,
0: I people get lost. I think even Chris was saying to me, like a friend of his did it and he genuinely got lost and was gone yeah. for a very long time. Perfect. It's yeah. which, you know, well, I'll get my compass out Well, and you can reflect on the snow again, you know? But listen bud um like i said i it, I think it's really funny just how life works out and i think the fact that you and i having met all those years ago in very different circumstances are sat here now talking about this you know it's interesting as i said to you there are times where in past where we've spoken and you can feel so disconnected to someone and it's funny how many years later you guys can have a mutual understanding of something and connect and never did i think it would be running but here we are and i think today I've just loved chatting to you. I think it's been so interesting and I just hope that people have got a, more of an insight into what you're doing and I guess what the future has in store. Well, thanks so much, Yeah, it's, it's been a great pleasure and I wish you all the best with the
1: show. Uh, I think it's really interesting and I hope it inspires people to conquer some of those goals that
0: they might have in mind. What a way to end it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you a biscuit, all I ask of you in return is that you push that subscribe button and leave a review. Unless it's a bad one, you can keep that your sausage. Your support, though, makes such a difference to this podcast and enables it to grow and connect with even more people around the world.